Previously on Flying the Line, we looked at the experiences that led Hank Duffy to pursue the Alpha Presidency. This podcast is brought to you by the Airline Pilots Association. Alpha supports its pilots through a variety of resources, including Pilot Peer Support, or PPS. PPS is a support network that connects Alpha members with trained pilot peers to talk about any personal or professional problems you may be experiencing. For contact information and to learn more, visit alpha.org pps. Welcome to the Flying the Line podcast, a look into the past of the Airline Pilots Association, a bridge from the book Flying the Line, Volume 2, by George E. Hopkins. Chapter 9, Duffy Takes Charge, A Troubled Transition, Part 1. By the rules of Woods Law, named for Chuck Woods, the veteran United pilot leader during the 1950s and 60s, J.J. O'Donnell should have known that he couldn't beat the odds in 1982. Woods had always advised new ALPA leaders that they should expect to lose 20% of their supporters per year. O'Donnell, bitterly disappointed at his rejection, was understandably resentful. The Washington Post headlined his defeat by saying that ALPA had rejected a Reagan advisor and that it was a surprise move. Duffy's supporters were pleased about his win, but had cause to worry. Aside from the presidency, other national officer elections at the board of directors meeting had not gone well. The Delta machine seemed to lose a wheel in the other races. It recovered to score some victories in the executive vice president races, but it lost important races for first vice president and secretary. Put simply, Duffy's supporters were worried that an obstructionist majority in the executive committee might wreck his presidency before it even started. Tom Ashwood of TWA's crushing victory over Tom Beatham of Northwest for the office of vice president illustrates the dicey nature of slate-making in ALPA politics. At Chuck Huttinger's New Orleans Unity meeting in June 1982, Beatham agreed to sacrifice his own presidential ambitions in exchange for the coalition's backing for the first vice presidency. So why couldn't the Delta machine deliver the vote for Beatham against Ashwood? Ashwood's ability as a campaigner partially explains it. Many BOD members felt that, in the interests of internal unity, appeasing O'Donnell's defeated supporters would be wise. Many BOD members were uneasy about the large United Airlines pilot group. Rumors swirled that United pilots were contemplating leaving ALPA since the 1980 BOD meeting. Reports circulated that John Ferg, United's MEC chair, had been talking to the Allied Pilots Association, the independent union American Airlines pilots cloned, after leaving ALPA in 1963. Was there a chance that Hank Duffy would face the defection of the United Pilot Group from ALPA? Seasoned ALPA members remembered the circumstances of Charlie Ruby's rise to the presidency in 1962 and shuddered. The American pilot's defection began during his transition. Ferg was becoming a loose cannon on ALPA's deck. He had harbored presidential ambitions before 1982, but two things destroyed them. 
The boycott he led during the 1980 BOD meeting, which irritated almost everybody, and his role in masterminding the Blue Skies contract United Pilots agreed to in 1981. In some respects, the Blue Skies contract was the opening shot in the B-scale Führer that would ravage Alpa in the mid-1980s. It preceded the first formal, non-expiring B-scale that Americans' pilots, no longer Alpa represented, signed in 1983. Because the Blue Skies contract handed United's management broad concessions, particularly in work rules, it undercut the existing contracts of other Alpa carriers. The pilots of many of United's competitors saw it as an open invitation for United's management to take on their carriers in the deregulated marketplace. United was big and powerful, but its pilots' tough collective bargaining had always held the airline's competitive advantages in check. The United Pilots' contract, superior to all others, had historically provided a measure of protection to smaller airlines. When John Ferg took the wraps off these contractual restraints, it frightened and angered many of these pilot groups. To some extent, the pro-Duffy vote in 1982 had been an anti-United one. But this sort of thing could be pushed too far, wiser heads warned. Perhaps that's why a consensus emerged in the BOD that the United pilot group had to be placated. United was dangerous enough inside Alpa's tent. It would be even worse outside. The historically close relationship between TWA and United pilots also caused concern. The airlines did not compete significantly with each other, but by electing Ashwood first vice president and United's Chuck Pierce secretary, the BOD could appease both and balance the scales internally. Northwest Speedum became the sacrificial offering to internal unity. In the election for first vice president, Ashwood got more than 15,000 votes. That was double Beatum's total and 2,000 more than Duffy got in winning the presidency. This lopsided victory was even more impressive when considering that Ashwood was running against three opponents, Beatum, Dan Afferty of Pan Am, and Gil Chase of Frontier. Ashwood's impressive showing was an ill omen for Hank Duffy. It meant that his second-in-command had shown more political strength than he had. The suspicion Duffy's supporters directed at Ashwood thus had a logical basis. Ashwood, who had served in the Australian Air Force before joining TWA in 1966, had risen rapidly in the Alpa hierarchy owing to O'Donnell's patronage. Ashwood won a national reputation with the public through his role as Alpa's principal spokesman on terrorism and skyjacking in the early 1970s. He also developed a considerable following internationally through his IFALPA service. Following his election as first vice president in 1982, Ashwood was clearly in a position to build an independent power base. With his extensive background as a national officer, and Alpa's history of electing leaders with a certain degree of continuity, Ashwood was a major player. The only mitigating factor, as the Duffy team saw it, was that Ashwood was miffed at O'Donnell for misleading him about his intentions to run again, and therefore might be amenable to a truce. Years later, Ashwood insisted he was willing to work with Duffy to defer his own political ambitions in the interest of harmony.
Ashwood's closest supporter on the executive committee, reflecting the strong alliance between TWA and United, was Chuck Pierce, the new secretary. Pierce came to his office with a strong reputation as an administrator, owing to his service as secretary-treasurer of the United MEC. He was also a moderate who, standing with other pilot groups, had survived the Ferg blemish. Figuring that Ashwood's election might not be enough to appease the United pilot group, the BOD also rolled over the Delta machine and elected Pierce. Duffy's supporters, putting the best face on a bad situation, agreed to make it unanimous when Pierce's victory became inevitable. They did, however, support Larry West of Republic against him in the formal balloting. Duffy's supporters were under no illusions about Pierce. They knew he was Ashwood's friend, something Pierce never denied. So the Delta machine, although it had won the top spot, could not prevent the election of the remainder of the O'Donnell slate. This outcome called into question Duffy's basic political appeal. It seemed to many observers that Duffy's victory was really a rejection of O'Donnell personally, not his policies. About the remaining national officer, Jack McGee, a quiet, amiable Ozark pilot who had held the treasurer's post since 1974, the Duffy people had less reason to worry. McGee's loyalty to Alpha always took precedence over his loyalty to any individual leader. Even the suspicious O'Donnell finally came to accept McGee at face value, although it took several years. McGee's repeated re-elections to the job of treasurer had survived O'Donnell's active opposition throughout the 1970s. At one point, O'Donnell encouraged Ashwood to run against McGee. So the Duffy transition team saw McGee as a potential ally. In races for executive vice president in 1982, the Delta machine regrouped and did better, with favorable results for Hank Duffy. O'Donnell's nemesis, Augie Gorse of Eastern, won the Group 2 race. Together with John Ellington, a Delta pilot who won the Group 1 EVP, and Chuck Huttinger, who won Group 5, Duffy would have a strong nucleus of support. Dennis Duffy of Continental and Don Jefferson of Pan Am rounded out the EVP roster. Dennis Duffy would eventually become Hank Duffy's ally, but Jefferson more often sided with Ashwood. Duffy had a narrow and uncertain working majority on the executive committee. The climate at Alpha National Headquarters was uncertain as Hank Duffy and his transition team arrived in Washington, D.C. The potential harm an Ashwood-Pierce alliance could do was worrisome, as was the recent tendency of the Delta and United pilot groups to square off on opposite sides of every issue. O'Donnell's role in the bad feelings that erupted between Ashwood and Duffy was indirect but substantial. He had done his best to persuade Duffy not to run, insisting that the social cocktail circuit in Washington would, among other things, not be to Duffy's wife's liking. O'Donnell's puzzling behavior continued into the transition period, manifesting itself in a kind of eerie detachment. Duffy needed help from O'Donnell to become comfortable with Alpa's existing operation, to sort it out, discard what would hamper his program to make it more effective, and preserve those aspects that could further the Duffy new beginning. Shortly after his victory, 
Duffy telephoned O'Donnell to set up the transition process. Because of the strained situation, Duffy thought it best to write a formal memorandum with the points he believed O'Donnell had agreed to. Duffy appointed a transition team of five pilots. Three of them were from Delta, Les Hale, Cam Foster, and Nick Gentili, who chaired the group. Bob Tully of Eastern and John Erickson of Western, who would be Duffy's executive administrator, rounded out the transition team. Duffy hoped that by formalizing the transition process, he would eliminate ambiguities and misunderstandings. He outlined three broad areas his transition team would look into. First, establishing a chain of command. Second, briefing the national officers and the executive administrator. And third, planning for the first round of membership meetings in the spring, requiring the use of an independent public relations firm. Although Duffy tried to inject a note of collegiality into the letter, using phrases such as, with your concurrence, nothing could hide the fact that the team would question every aspect of O'Donnell's stewardship. O'Donnell took the letter badly, as a criticism and not-so-subtle insinuation that he might try to sabotage Duffy's transition. From Duffy's viewpoint, it made sense to have independent experts examine areas that he made key targets during his campaign. As we have seen, allegations of public relations and management failures struck a chord among many Alpha members. They believed that O'Donnell was too remote from the membership, and Duffy wondered how else he could fairly assess Alpha's performance in these areas. But to O'Donnell, this insistence on outside experts intruding into what had formerly been his private preserve seemed a brazen announcement that his chosen Alpa staffers were incompetent and possibly disloyal. The effect on the staff of Duffy's sweeping investigation of their performance was disquieting. Next time on Flying the Line... The new Alpa president enters office with an immediate need to repair an internal division. Thank you for listening. This has been Chapter 9, Part 1 of Flying the Line 2 by George E. Hopkins. Copyright 2000. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. To listen and subscribe to more in this series, please check us out online at alpa.org or on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or other podcast platforms. Until next time, this is the Flying the Line podcast, a look into the past of the Airline Pilots Association International. Production copyright ALPA 2023, all rights reserved.